Welcome to the Growth Cap Podcast, where we chat with CEOs, investors, and other key industry leaders to uncover insights and strategies for accelerating growth and succeeding in business. I'm your host, RJ Lumba. In this episode, we chat with Mike Tuchin, the CEO of Unfido, which is the new standard for digital access. The company digitally proves a user's real identity using artificial intelligence by verifying a photo ID and comparing it to the person's facial biometrics. The company is backed by TPG Growth, Salesforce Ventures, and other notable investors. Mike's track record as a CEO is outstanding. He built a new leader in data integration and data integrity with talent. He grew revenue by 5x and ARR by 6x to $250 million in just over six years, taking the company public in 2016. He also built the strongest team in its category of network security at Rapid7, delivering by far the fastest growth relative to its competitors and creating the leading company by new sales. He grew revenue by 10x in four and a half years to $50 million. In our conversation, we cover some of his secrets to success. We hope you enjoy the show. Mike, thank you so much for taking the time. It's a delight to chat with you today. Maybe what we could do for the benefit of our audience is hear a little bit about your background. Sure. So I started out as a super tech engineer with a master's in double E, designing computer chips for Sun Microsystems. Then eventually kind of stunned all my colleagues and went off to B-school, got my lobotomy. Then started out in marketing at Microsoft. But I felt I was just too far away from where the, to me at the time, the exciting action was being a product techie guy at heart. And so moved into product management, spent a bunch of years doing that, started a company as an entrepreneur, ran a division for Polycom, then back to Microsoft to really double down in marketing and really learn how to build companies' revenue at scale. And so worked on the SQL Server business and grew that from a billion and a half to two and a half billion dollars. That was a great experience. And that led to my first CEO opportunity, which led to my second one, which led to my third one, and so on. Looking at your background, you have a fantastic track record going from one organization to the next and having profound impact. And this podcast is about growth and how to accelerate it with businesses. What do you think is typically the most challenging thing about rapidly scaling a business? Well, I think there's three things you need to get right. The first and by far the most important thing is building the right team. If you build the right team with the right people in the right seats, with it surrounded by the right culture, you've got a force multiplier. You've probably solved about 70% of the problem. A lot of good things are going to happen. The next thing is to make sure you have a clear strategy. What's going on in the market? What are your competition doing? What do your customers want? What's the right thing for you to do that's outthinking the competition from a, if you think about it from a chessboard perspective? and doing a better job to solve your customer's problems. The last thing is executing and making sure you have a clear execution framework so you can set a, create a set of commitments of where you're going over a multi-year time frame, what are you doing this year, what are you doing this quarter, and have that cascade down so everyone in the company knows what they need to do in the morning to be successful for their team and for the company and lead you where you want to go. So how do you find the right people. I guess we could talk about this both philosophically as well as tactically. First off, what do you look for in people? And then how do you go about identifying them? You know, for me, the first couple of things I look for is uh, great leadership skills. Because you know, most of the people that I'm interviewing aren't individual contributors. They're actually leading a team of significant size. And so that starts with being a great leader. Because 
And whenever you look at what brings people in to join a company and what makes people leave a company, the vast majority, the number one reason in both cases is who the leaders are. And so starting with great leaders that also bring in a passion for hiring and a great hiring approach. I'll sit there and I'll ask them, so, you know, what do you look for uh, when you're hiring? Then go and think about the response they give me and say, okay, which of these are pretty clear and which are actually really hard to judge? And whenever someone gives me one of those hard things, I'll say, okay, so tell me about that one. How do you figure out if someone has that thing? You'd be stunned, by the way, at the number of people when they say, here are the five things I look for. I'm like, great. So tell me about number four. (laughs) And then Mm -hmm. draw a blank and I go, I don't know. (laughs) Really? Man, you only give me five and I ask for one and you can't answer that. That's really saying a lot about your passion for hiring. So I spent a lot of time really making sure someone really has built a great team, brings a great culture. It's going to be part of our culture and expand that. And is going to hire and make the team stronger over time. If we get those things right, a lot of good things are going to happen. And given how long you've been in the industry and with different organizations, do you have a network where you know the folks that you can put into key positions or you know of certain folks that you can bring in? Or is it really tactical? You have a system of bringing those people in. A little of both. If you were to look at our current company on Fido, you'll see a few people that I've worked with before. You'll see people who are some of the other execs I've worked with before and brought them in. So it's not just my network. It's the superset of all of our networks. The other super valuable thing that happens here is when you're dealing with an out-of-network hire or someone that you didn't pull in yourself, but you're working with a recruiter or someone else referred them in, it's super valuable to be able to check and ask other people. Because it turns out that for anyone that's worked in the anything related to where we are, I'm pretty much one hop away. And so I can talk to you know someone, hey, I know you work with so-and-so. I'd love to get your feedback on what that person was like. And my basic philosophy is you can have the best hiring process in the world, and we're super passionate about getting that right. But you learn a lot more by someone who's worked with that person or for that person over a period of years than you'll ever learn in any hiring process, even the best one in the world. So having that ability to confirm what the real life experience like is really important, in my view. Mm-hmm. Now let's move on to uh, Onfido and tell us about the company. And obviously, it's, you're, you're in a very exciting space. And what brought you to it and where you think the future lies? So what I was looking for was a company that was at the intersection of some of the big mega trends that were out there, solving a big problem that wasn't being well solved with an opportunity to win in an important space were enough traction that we could point to at a meaningful scale that I could say, yeah, we could plausibly actually get there and, and win in this space. And Onfito checked all those boxes. So the problem that we're solving is as the world is moving from physical to digital, a big mega trend that's been going on for a decade or more that accelerated last year due to COVID, what every single company needs to do is to establish digital relationships with their customers and make sure that there's a real person, a real ID behind that digital ID. That's the problem that we solve. In a world where the entire universe is moving to digital, that problem has become more important, become front and center for all of our customers. And of course, the fraudulent economies and the fraudsters have seen that trend as well, and they're moving online. And this sort of Willie Horton concept of why did the bankers rob the bank? Well, 
because that's where the money is. Well, now when all of the world is moving to online, that's where the fraudsters are moving as well. So the intersection of fraud and the rapidly accelerating move to online, that's the problem we're solving. We're now over 100 million US ARR, growing over 100% year on year for the first half of 2021. That's an exciting business at an exciting scale, solving a hard problem that's not well solved today. And presumably this is a technology that's relevant to most all businesses. I know there are certain sectors where this is more of a priority, but do you view the market that way? How big is this market? You know, we see this as a huge market because it applies to almost every business, right? You can name a business and I can name a scenario where that business is moving to digital. You know, yes, there are some segments that are moving faster than others right now. Some of the real hot growth segments out there, I'd point to things like digital banking, crypto, online sports betting, online gambling broadly, the whole gig economy of every flavor. All these things are exploding, but there's that ongoing drumbeat of a move to digital that's driving it in every industry, in retail and hospitality and in lending and securities trading and insurance. I mean, you name the vertical and I'll, I'll walk through a scenario. And part of scaling now involves the capital at your back. You've got a great partner in TPG Growth. I believe in your other companies as well, Talend and Rapid7. How is it working with private equity partners? Why do you think that partnership works so well in bringing organizations forward and advancing them in the market? One of the great things about investors who invest in private companies, venture capital and the growth capital folks like TPG Growth is really tight alignment of interest, right? They're putting a significant amount of money to work and they're very aligned around making sure that we have the right team, we're going after the right markets, we're building a company for the future and growing aggressively. And so we've had great partnerships with our folks around the table here and to your point, as we have had in previous companies as well. But that alignment of interest is so important. And you know, if you think about it from a, after you go public, I think there's less alignment. The investors are, it's a more liquid market. They can swap in and swap out and say, yeah, you know, I'll put $10 million in this week. And then next week, if the stock goes up, well, I'll take my $10 million out. There are plenty of these kind of hedge funds that trade in and trade out on a rapid basis. In a private company, you can't do that. You invest 10 million in or 100 million in, as TPG did last year. We are aligned together, right? We are going to work together for years to come to build this company. That alignment, I think, is super valuable. And if you were to project out five, 10 years, I know that's getting a little bit far out there, but you know, where do you see this company heading? You know, for us, if you think about the digital identity as a life cycle, so our customers think about their customer digital identities as going through a, a life cycle, like a workflow. And we sit at the beginning of that workflow and there are a number of steps along the way. Right now, they're using 20 or 30 companies, 20 or 30 different vendors to solve different pieces of that workflow. Probably not the thing that they want to do. It, there's a great win-win to be had for us helping solve a bigger part of that problem for them and a more consumable solution that simply works better than what they're trying to do today by cobbling together a whole bunch of other stuff. So that seems like kind of a no-brainer that will help them get to in the coming years. There's a couple questions I typically like to ask folks, and one relates, actually both relate to you uh, more personally, you know, as a professional. But could you tell us about a challenging time you faced and what was challenging about it? How are you able to cope with the situation? And when you kind of look back on it, you're proud of how you handled it. 
It's a great question. So my last company, I was Talent. I'll tell the story on that one. We went public in 2016 and we had made a couple of bets in 2013 when I joined on two different market trends. The first market trend was big data, primarily premise to do. That business was exploding. No one was solving. Talent's the data integration company. No one was solving that integration for big data. And there were some unique differences there, but problems that we could solve uniquely well. On the other hand, the cloud was clearly about to take off for data. It had already taken off in other segments, but it wasn't being used for your company's mission-critical data. And so we saw that as clearly where the market was going to go in the coming years, but not a right here, right now market that we could sell and monetize that day. And so we made two bets. I hate making two bets, but we made two bets. In retrospect, thank God we did. The first bet was Premise to Dupe because it was right there. Our product already worked. We just had to do a couple of minor things and just keep investing behind that. That business exploded right out of the gate, growing over 100% a year, became our biggest business, and our growth rate accelerated. Our sales efficiency doubled. We went from burning a bunch of cash to cash positive. It was We went public on the back of that big market trend. And we did as much data integration in that business as, as every other vendor combined. So we pretty much just owned that market with just by far the best technical solution for it. Now, the second bet, building into the cloud, was a rip it all apart and rebuild it from the bottom up to build a cloud native kind of offering with containerized and scale out and multi-tenant native and you know all the things you need to be to be a resilient cloud service. So then what happened in 2017 was our big data business went from growing at 100% a year to growing at 50% a year, which doesn't sound terrible because our overall business was growing in the mid-40s. But when your business, which was at that point, well over 50% of our business, growth rate cuts in half. And by the way, one of those quarters, they grew at zero. That was alarming. And so the question was, what were we going to do about it? And the answer was, we are going to rotate the business to the big data or to cloud as fast as we could. And this was a all hands on deck and really challenging move for a number of reasons. Number one, that business, big data growth went from 100% to 50% to zero. That was how fast. It just fell off a cliff because what was happening in the background was the cloud was just making anything premise to do with infrastructure irrelevant. People were doing all that stuff in the cloud. And in particular, there was an advent of a, there's a whole bunch of reasons why doing that in the cloud for data was just better. And so we were now forced to change our biggest market where our guys had been selling all of their new business and all of our new customers and to build a new muscle to do that in the cloud. And as everyone in the company pointed out to me, Mike, the product's not ready yet. Yeah, I know that. Mike, we don't know how to do that yet. I know that. Our competitor set's different. Our product is immature. Our on and on and on. There are all these reasons why not. And the reality was, I get it. I understand all of that. And we're going to do it anyway, because we don't have a choice. The bridge is burning behind us. And we're going to go hard and fast, and we're going to make this work. And we did. And it was hard. It was a slog. But the cloud business that next year in 2018 tripled. And by the end of 2019, it got to be 50% of our new sales. So it was a hard force transition. We probably did it a year or two faster than we quote should have, but it was what we had to do. And sometimes you don't get to choose. 
So super proud of the team and what we did. And boy, that was by far the hardest thing I had to do in my professional career today. And when you were making that bet, sounds like you had a lot of conviction that it would work. Was that truly the case? You knew it was going to work? There's no question. I mean, in my previous company, as I was leaving, we were making a big bet on the cloud. The cloud was clearly this freight train running down the track. And so the only question was, when did the, the data business, in the sense of people creating the corporate data warehouse, was one of the slower businesses to move, right? The CRM business was one of the faster businesses to move. The email business moved quickly. So parts of the, the ecosystem had already moved pretty aggressively to the cloud. The question wasn't if our business was going to move. The question was when and how. And so for us, that was the reason why we took the bet in 2013. At the time, this sounds kind of crazy, but at the time, we thought the big data business was going to slowly mature and growth would slow. And then cloud would be this nice little cherry on top that re-accelerated growth, which in a normal market situation probably would have played out. These kind of S-curve adoption models are things that we've all seen in every other market. This market was unique because it wasn't just we're seeing one technology mature, we're seeing one technology literally being replaced by another. And a simpler, you know, better way to do it, a better deployment model with a whole ton of customer benefits. So that was what was making the first market, not just slow down gradually, but fall off a cliff. Mm-hmm. But I would say, when you look at what was going on, you talk to customers about it, talk to the cloud vendors themselves about it, talk to some of the other ecosystem players like Databricks and Snowflake, all of the signs were there. So we had thousand percent conviction. There's no question about what was happening. The only question really that was up for grabs was, what was our role in that new cloud future going to be? Right? Mm-hmm. It wasn't a question about, is the future in the cloud? Yeah. It's a, as a matter of fact, one of our joking slogans around the table was, the last premise data warehouse has already been built. And so you can either go and solve the buggy whip problem, that one, or, you know what, let's go create the new world together. Because we have a whole bunch of ecosystem partners that are excited to work with us. We still solve a critical problem that's not well solved. Let's go do that. And yeah, there's a bunch of stuff we need to learn. Got it. Check. Including, by the way, you know, figuring out what we didn't know. Because you walk into a situation like that saying, here's some stuff I know that we don't know. Here's some stuff that we know is broken. Here's some stuff that we know we don't know, but we know once you know you don't know, you can go figure out how to get it. But then the big question was, what are all the stuff we don't know? Right? Mm-hmm. Donald Rumsfeld's unknown unknowns. Let's mm-hmm. go figure that out. And how do you do that in a disciplined way? Because we were time boxed. We had to get that transition over fast. That was how we set up the challenge. And yeah, we found the path. It was not easy, but it was a remarkable experience. Okay. Last question. Is there someone in particular that you keep in mind as you are making tough decisions and someone you think would make or be able to frame out? a problem effectively and think through the possible alternatives and choose the right alternative. Essentially, someone you think of as a great leader, as someone you admire, and you try to channel them. You know, I'll point to a couple, actually. One that I had an opportunity to work with very closely. Our chairman at uh, Talon was a guy named Steve Singh, who was the founder and longtime CEO of Concur and ultimately grew that to a billion-dollar business, sold it to SAP along the way. I've learned an enormous amount from him in sort of all aspects of running a company. One of my peers, I mentioned Databricks a moment ago, the CEO of Databricks, uh, Ali, terrific leader that with a tremendous insight that I've learned an enormous amount as well. From a distance, 
I'd point to Jeff Bezos because what he's done with Amazon is truly remarkable. One of the most successful software companies in the world. So I've read his annual letters with interest because, boy, he takes a really sharp-eyed look at his business every year. Well, that's a good note to end on, hearing about those that you try to channel and gain insights from. Well, Mike, thank you so much for taking the time. I really appreciate it. I know our audience will find this very insightful. Great. Thank you, and thank you for the time.